0: Is Transitional Matters with Chris Marshall. With Chris Marshall, we've gathered the best thinkers from around the world to talk about the most important social, environmental, financial, technological, and geopolitical transitions that affect your life. Transitional Matters is all about bringing the greatest thinkers directly to your ears. The most important trends, mega trends, and transitions that are going on around us. Now zip up and put your headphones on. Broadcasting direct from the UK, here's your host, Chris Marshall.
1: Well, welcome to this episode of Transitional Matters. Today, I'm joined by Louise Farley. Louise is a venture capitalist, a VC. And really what we're going to be talking about today is innovation, entrepreneurship, really the seed of progress. That's my terms. I'm I'm not uh, quoting Louise here just yet. Uh, the seed of progress of kind of what progresses society and all the amazing things that she sees going on from her desk. So Louise, thanks for joining the show. Welcome. Can I get you to introduce yourself? Because I always find that guests are far better at telling their story. I know that you kind of now work at Deep Bridge, Mm -hmm. which specializes in these very early stage businesses. From my reading and understanding and conversations with you, you kind of cover three main areas which is tech healthcare and renewables. Is that am I yeah, on the right track?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um you know thanks for the intro and for having me on the show. Um yeah to set the scene, Deep Bridge Capital is a well, is a venture capitalist. To draw a bit of a distinction really between, I mean you hear a lot of buzzwords such as you know, venture capital, private equity, etc. And yes, anyone could probably Google some more distinct terms and definitions of what that means. But broadly, I guess if you want for the purposes of our conversation, The nuance of being a VC, I would interpret as to being a much kind of earlier stage investor than probably some of the private equity houses out there where they could put much larger sums of money in companies that are much more developed along their growth cycle. So that's where DeepBridge sits and operates. And as you quite rightly said, we are sector specialists across three core areas. We've got technology, we've got life sciences, and we've got renewable energies. Technology and life sciences is kind of where I get involved more in my kind of day-to-day work, so I'll definitely be focusing sort of more on those areas. But to give a bit of a nod to renewable energy, for Deep Rich, we mainly invest in things like onshore wind, hydro, anaerobic digestion, you know, but there's still definite themes of environmental that run throughout the technology side of things. Sometimes to the life sciences portfolio to some extent, here we're looking at things like energy efficiency monitoring. There are some sort of clean tech recycling opportunities there. You've got closed loop style processes and with that, you know, one that springs to mind is we've got something evolving omega-3 and al- algae, but I'm sure I'll, you know, touch upon that bit later. For purposes of our conversation, when I talk about renewable energy from our VC kind of hat. That is a sector we would deem to be a bit more and less risky than okay. the other sectors. So kind of what underpins most of what we do as a VC house is, you know, we're very much aware of the risks that are inherently evolved in early stage investing. So we underpin most of our investments with tax wrappers. So okay. this is mainly to do with the investors and just to kind of de-risk their investments into the businesses. But with renewables, a lot of the time, the technologies there are very much tried and tested. So, a bit less risky. And for purposes of the tax wrapper, we have an inheritance tax uh, tax wrapper that goes upon that. So,
1: basically, you know, talking about here, kind of like how mature it is on, in terms of kind of the technology or its adoption within so- exactly. society, I guess.
2: Exactly. Covers off the renewable side of things. You know, with technology and life sciences. Here we're investing in very, very early stage businesses. We're talking anything from kind of vapor and concept stages, almost just an idea. With that, we would invest anything from typically 150K. And then as we seek to develop those businesses, you know, bring them proving their concepts, you know, commercializing those businesses, we'll seek to further support those. And at the top end, I guess, of our portfolio, we've got some investments where we've put in about 15 million. And from there, we'd either seek sort of co-investors to come alongside in much deeper purses than what we have, or we'd be looking for an exit for ourselves and our investors uh, from that. So, yeah, for the purposes of today, you know, I'd definitely like to sort of focus on the, the tech and life
1: sciences side. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, before we actually do dive into those trends, could I get you just to kind of outline your career path? Yeah. because it's a fascinating one. And I think it lends an awful lot to why you're now in this space and almost the expertise that you bring to those companies that you bring the money to. So
2: yeah, I've been involved in financial services and the investment sector for over 20 years now. And my career started off actually working as part of a financial advisory firm. Um, I was never a qualified financial advisor or anything like that. But within the business, um, I set up a assistant business effectively. With that, I was developing an in-house software system just to better help with our processes. It soon became very apparent that there was nothing really like that in the industry. So created a sister company, went out, sold that to a load of financial advisors, that later sold to, to Mortgage MortgageBrain. Um, but of course, I guess now I would say, you know, I had the entrepreneur hat from early on in my career. And with that, you know, I learned a lot of hard lessons, early doors, problems with partnership agreements, etc. I kind of got the battle scars, I guess, from that side of things.
1: Battle
2: scars. I like that. <laughs> Lots of battle scars. Um, so yeah, I, li- I liked startups. I liked business. I wasn't quite sure what this involved, but I got involved with a private equity house uh, then kind of 2005. And, you know, I've worked with a couple, so I've got that in-house private equity experience. Uh, And the majority of which were all early stage private businesses. There are a few kind of quoted businesses on, you know, the smaller market like AIM, for example. But then in 2011, there was an opportunity for for me to set up on my own again and uh, sort of set up a consultancy. And this was very much still, I mean, it was a range of clients, still sort of other equity funds other sort of direct single SMEs in their own rights. And it was providing services, initially copywriting, um, kind of marketing, investor relations, product structuring, and of course that big demand of actually fundraising. So, and that coincided with 2012 when the UK government actually launched the seed enterprise investment scheme. So it was very much, you know, team back startup, and this created huge uh, sort of demand for product structuring, working okay. with individual companies, fund managers, etc. So yeah, someone actually said to me, um, I'll be here that you're Miss CD. And I was like, I do not need that as a reputation <laughs> in the market. But they were saying that, what?
1: That's, I love that.
2: You know, supposedly, I was the person to come to if you were going to launch business. And from there, actually, Deep Bridge was one of our clients. They were our tech solution that we would take to, to financial advisors to, to fundraise for. And When the opportunity came to merge the business with DeepBridge, you know, it was one of those decisions of, oh, do I want to give up being my own boss again? Um, Actually, what I really liked was the visibility of the underlying companies, which was very much different to the rest of the market where you kind of go in a closed-ended fund, you know, trust, trust the process and see what you get. So it was a different way around. So yeah, you know, merged the business, brought my team over. And that was about seven years ago now, so I'm, I'm still there.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. I, I want to stick on that kind of, you mentioned you had that kind of entrepreneurial mindset. Before we kind of get into some of the trends and the changes and the innovation that you see in, in your work, in your day-to-day work, can we just talk about kind of the fundamental importance of kind of that entrepreneurial spirit and what the actual the entrepreneur does In society. Because just before we started recording, I was saying, I'm a massive champion of entrepreneurs. I've set up a couple of businesses and I I just think they are an absolutely crazy bunch. (laughs) Uh, um, When you actually peel back what these people are doing, to me, they're sacrificing not only time and passion and everything else, but capital behind an idea normally that has, you know, in some cases, no proof of concept. It's just a, well, I think I can do this. And you must see that time and time again. And I'd love to kind of get your view on kind of where the entrepreneur sits. I, I, you might completely disagree with me. <laughs>
2: Do you know what? No, I 100% agree with you. Um, you know, out of the criteria that, I, to be honest, any fund manager Whoa. will have a very similar criteria in what they look for. But, you know, fundamentally and foremost, it's the team. And it's gonna be the founders, it's gonna be the entrepreneurs, and it's gonna be those highly caffeinated people that are mortgaged up to their eyebrows, you know, for everything on the line for this business. And you, you want to see that passion and that enthusiasm in someone. And, you know, it's infectious. If you can yeah. have that back, then you've got a great working relationship from the outset. But you know, if you don't have a nation of innovators, then you get no progress.
1: Absolutely. So,
2: it's definitely you know what drives what drives our society,
1: yeah. I was having a conversation actually on this podcast maybe a few months ago with a guy called Hassan Malik. He works for Luminous now he works he's covered all desks from FX to EM. and we were just talking about the kind of the progress on a global stage of China. Mm. And where our conversation ended was it's a great experiment. We can't deny how rapidly they have progressed economically. I mean, it's yeah. it's incredible. but, a lot of it has been done, not necessarily truly innovating, but Mm. copying. To kind of get to that point of true innovation, you require failure uh, because it's a process of, well, this might work, it might not. And the issue with a centrally planned economy is it doesn't allow failure. (laughs) So, it's (laughs) going to be very interesting. But I guess you see that as well in a lot of, you know, kind of on a smaller scale in the companies you're dealing with.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You speak to so many entrepreneurs, and everybody's got that next best thing that's so original, so unique. And you go, yeah, I saw three others just like it this week. But we do it in anything in our lives, you know. Films—if you're talking about the film that you've seen, it's going to be like another film, yeah. Uh, in order to have that conversation, and it's the same in the same with business. Um, you know, whilst we're sector specialists if you just take tech, life sciences, there are a number of subsectors within those two headings as well. We'll, you know, might focus on a sector and there'll be a business and then we'll see a similar business. We have to make a judgment call as to how similar that is and whether it would compete within itself. But also if it's something that we'd like, we will seek to get complementary businesses within that sector. I guess as a manager as well, some companies call it bolt-ons, you know, you've got your standard M&A activity within that, but it also helps our knowledge and our specialisms, you know, grow within that to help those companies within that. So yeah, it is interesting when you do sort of meet entrepreneurs and they do have something very unique or not so much so, (laughs) but that's kind of what, you know, I would look for. We do look for businesses that, you know, can, in some cases, well, you would, you'd want them to disrupt an existing marketplace or sure. create an entirely new one. And it is where you do get those instances. That's where you have to draw upon you know, the knowledge and expertise of your partners, your advisory board, and go, right, how do we tackle this one?
1: Is that one of the draws for a business? Yeah. I mean, on both sides of the camp, both for you and for them, yeah. because- you know, having had a small business, I know cash flow is always kind of like yeah. a a top priority, if not the the main one most of the days. But is it that kind of it's more than cash for the business in that they get to tap into that kind of that extended network and knowledge base?
2: Definitely. Yeah. For a, for a company's point of view, it's a case of do you want dumb money or do you want smart money? You know, we certainly in the business of providing smart money, yeah. Um, as I said, I, you know, I've I've run a couple of businesses. The majority of my business partners, and certainly those within the investment teams, they've done so also. I think there could be a lot of pride involved with entrepreneurs as well. You know, you think you have to have the dragon's den or the, you know, the apprentice skill sets of being able to do everything. That's not the case. So, you know, I had one guy actually just asked my advice. He had a massive pipeline of potential customers, but just couldn't get any over the line. Okay. But you know, he was receiving pressure from the investment team. You know, show us the money to some extent. How are you getting on with commercialising? And then you know, it took a lot for him just to say, "I just need help with, with this this particular part." And I think you be you have to have that relationship because when you are, you know, seeking an investor, or we're looking for businesses the stage that we're investing in, you know, that we're talking probably five, six, seven years, you know, if it's medical, <laughs> probably 10 years plus. Yep. But it's almost like a marriage. You throw a shareholder's agreement in from the outset and you've got, you know, what you consider a pretty meaty prenup. So you have to make sure that you're going to be able to, to work with that business. And, it, and it's not just cash. You know, we've certainly on the medical side, we help uh, you know, bring some of the companies to their first clinical trials. We help uh, get them their first orders from NHS trusts. Quite often we bolster the team with new employees or board positions. And, you know, some of the, the bits that you don't want to do necessarily is also get rid of, you know, some some incumbents that might not be, you know, working towards the better good of, of the business. So um we roll up our sleeves and we have to get our hands dirty as and when it's in the best interests of the business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I I, yeah, I completely see that. Yeah, something you just said a minute ago was that somebody comes to you as an entrepreneur, like, I've got this incredible idea, Louise, and it's X, Y, Z. And you said that sometimes it's the case that you've seen three others exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. Do you actually see clusters of mm-hmm. ideas? I mean, that happen in a kind of, oh, well, this quarter, we've seen an influx of whatever Are there any examples that you can share? Because this is fascinating because, again, coming back to that idea of the entrepreneur, which I think is undersold, underappreciated in main society, is they are problem solvers. And when problems crop up, they go, oh my word, I've got the tools to solve that, or I think I do anyway. And so it's fascinating that you're seeing that actually come through on the other side.
2: I have two email addresses. I have my LinkedIn profile. I've actually had businesses slide into my DMs on Instagram. Um, I I think I counted something like seven platforms that people tend to reach me on. But it is interesting. And I, you know, I definitely keep them all because I like to see what is coming in. You know, like I remember last year when NFTs, you know, that there was massive, uh, you know, spike in that. First of all, I didn't know about non-fungible tokens. I thought people were saying (laughs) non-fundable. Why are you coming to a VC? That's definitely the worst thing to say. But as I started to look into that, and my seven-year-old niece, I was with her at the same time, and she kept talking to me about axolotls. Okay, yeah. Right? Yep. I mean, I got excited because um, she said, they, you know, you can cut the leg off and they grow back in a day, and I don't get excited for the wrong reasons. I was really with my health <laughs> tech, uh, biotech hat on there. But the very next day, I got an email about an NFT, an axolotl NFT. Okay. And I was like, this is <laughs> – this is just nuts. I mean, what are the coincidence? But you do see, I suppose you have to have your eyes open to it as well, right? I mean, I am a woman just for clarity for anyone listening, um, but I've evolved in a lot of, you know, women investment groups. So I naturally see a lot of businesses within femtech, you know, that's not just businesses that are founded by women. It's all, but it's you know, businesses that might be founded by men, but dealing with a female related issue. Because I'm connected to a lot of different platforms with that, I'm naturally getting a lot of stuff coming through that, but it kind of could go from, you know, right now, you know, there's a big thing with cosmetics, menopause is a thing that's been around that, you know, I've got a close eye on in terms of investments for through a good, I'd say couple of years now. And there's lots of interesting businesses within it. But for me personally, I'm like, I want one that kind of supports the journey Okay. Uh, rather than just the odd thing that might tackle yep. this and that. But yeah, there's, there's so many different things. I guess anyone that says, what are the latest trends? If you're talking about a trend, it's already gone.
1: So yeah. you know, oh, you've ab- asked the yeah. right question. Absolutely. In and, I, <laughs> and I think that's the really interesting thing, isn't it? You know, Let's talk about innovation for a second, because that's essentially what you're dealing with. Yes, you're then looking at a company and going, does this company harness that innovation well. But the innovation itself, and this is what amazes me, is how long technology can lie almost dormant, Mm -hmm. almost kind of at the fringes. And you've got so many iterations of businesses going, well, we're going to try and use it like this. So, you just talk about NFTs. Like I've never been a a supporter of blockchain or NFTs. Actually, I should say crypto assets. The actual underlying technology, when we figure out how to harness that properly, Mind blowing, like yeah, a completely change contract law and everything in my in my view. But how long will we? You know, it's it's always that kind of oh well, just because you know about it today, yeah, doesn't mean it's instantly a success story. And actually, Definitely. when you follow this through, like every single kind of para- what I'd call paradigm shifting innovation. So we could go like. George Stevenson's locomotive, we could go uh, the telephone, we could go steel manufacturing, automobiles, dot com bubble, like yeah. all revolutionary things. But sometimes, from the investment point of view, you can be too early.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I guess you're also dealing with that—is looking at well, actually, how how mature is this? So you, you actually said right at the start that renewables are further along that adoption yeah. curve. Yeah. Do you kind of? consciously think about that kind of like, well, actually, are they just too far ahead of their time?
2: Oh, it's an interesting question. I mean, you know, as they say, don't reinvent the wheel. If that's a problem and there's a legit solution to it, don't come up with something, you know, take when um, digitalization of receipts, you know, who would pay for it? The merchant, the customer. Um, I remember seeing a company that had this fantastic app that they were like, yeah, look, here you can get your receipt. I was like, cool. Who's going to pay for that? You know, there was, real, yeah. there was no real problem necessarily yes. to be solved. Yes, there was clever tech, but no real problem. And I, think- I would have
1: paid for it because I'm a nightmare with like filing.
2: <laughs> Paper harvester, right? Paper <laughs> harvester.
1: <laughs> yeah. I um, used to go to my accountants just with like, I was one of those nightmare clients <laughs> that would go with the carrier bag of unsorted receipts. Just I know that yeah. I put them all in the carrier bag. But yeah, so <laughs> you know, anything which, well, which solves my admin.
2: <laughs> well, exactly right. So you could see the absolute problems of that, and I think what's so relatable, and certainly just you know how I do my own personal investments is, is stuff that I can personally relate to. Yeah, the clever stuff that's going on that I can absolutely see a need for that are addressing real problems. I trust in my investment team, you know, and those on the investment committee to really do that. And it's no one person that makes a decision. We sure. like, have a committee for a reason it's not just about getting one person on board and I think what you know does tend to happen you know we talked about partnership and when you're working with a company it can be for a long time you can naturally get you know emotionally involved in in a business and sometimes it does take partners and other people just to kind of have look through a different lens and just say yeah. okay right get that you're close to it but you know, have you just thought about this questions. Yeah. yeah you know certainly at the moment, I mean, you know, health tech, healthcare, all of this, you know, if we look at, when I say an extreme within our portfolio, and I talk about like pharmaceuticals, it's not that it's extreme, it's just that my my skill set, that's, you know, I leave that to our doctor side within the business. Um, but we've got a company called Lazmogen. This is in the pharmaceutical industry. They've got a product that they call like sonoma and what this is, is effectively an anti-inflammatory drug treatment it's for, for eye disease. Um, okay. And this blew my mind because when I could sort of see across the room, you know, the, the investment managers involved in the sector, you know, there was a flurry of hands. There was a lot of, I wasn't sure if it was excitement or, or something bad was going on at the time. <laughs> um, said, no, it, it, was, it was excitement. This business, it's the technology behind it was um, created from shark DNA. Okay. And this just like blows my wow. mind. How can anyone, you know, even sort of get, get involved in this? Um, you know, this was a business that, you know, initially started with people that could result in, you know, eye loss. Um, and so what it how I would basically understand this is that it's a very, very small, put it this way, it could be applied on a contact lens, it goes directly through your eye. And because it's much more kind of stickier and smaller in nature. It could attach itself to the the tumor, be more effective with the delivery mechanism and treating that. So rather than having to flood the body with good cell killing drug treatments, you know, it could be a
1: lot more targeted and specific. So something like that absolutely blows my mind. I can see why.
0: Yeah. I mean it is (laughs) it is
1: actually mind-blowing. I was gonna give a really bad analogy, but you you often you often kind of sit back and go, How did these people like kind of come up with that idea. For me, I'm going to sound like really stupid now, but for me, it's things like peanut butter and jelly. Like who (laughs) decided to put those two two things together? But then you come to like, let's use shark DNA. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, this is what I absolutely love. It's a super creative space, isn't it? That, That is just constantly pushing things forward. Can we talk about kind of those two kind of areas or sectors that you specialize in? So, we said disruptive tech and kind of health sciences. What are the massive developments that you've seen during your career in those?
2: Do you know what? It's interesting because, you know, when I talked at the beginning about tax wrappers, there was a lot of funds and businesses that did things for the wrong reasons, you know, Whilst, yeah, that mitigates what we do. You take them away, I would still invest my money in the companies that I do today because they yep. stand up in their own right. You know, so when you look at kind of trends and things that happened along the way, there was a lot of cash going into, I mean, there was media assets and there was other things that, that had their own kind of, it was like a tax relief on top of a tax relief, but take all that away and bring it back to the innovation, environmental, you yep. know. ESG, you know, it's, it's still very much a hot topic. And yep. It's something which, you know, certainly in the UK, you know, the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, they're very much aware of kind of greenwashing that's yep. going on in the industry. So they brought in various, you know, protocols to, to prohibit this. Um, like you can't just use the word impact and sustainable yep. willy nilly. So, you know, to some regard, you've got, um, you know, marketing, It cat has been a bad thing today, but so you've definitely got environmental themes, you know, that remain and it will do. Um, I think the electrification and decarbonization of the world is definitely a thing, as is the sort of digitalization of that. Digitalization Mm. applies throughout definitely tech, definitely within our life science sector. And I'd say, if you look at the portfolio which we've got. About 140 companies across tech and life sciences, and if we were to cluster these, we would have a very broad term of apps and software. Okay, I would say the majority of which fit within that space. So, um, and that's not slowing up. It's you know definitely something that the investment team likes. So we will look for businesses that have that sizzle, but we'll look to have a genuine solution to a
1: genuine problem,
2: and that's the sort of areas that we that, get That's what you kind of about. look
1: for. No, that's, yeah. that's, that's fascinating. And I think, you know, kind of for me, looking in from the outside, that one of the big trends I really kind of see, well, I'm going to talk about two actually, which touch on just what you've said there. One is that I think we're at the third, what I'm going to call information revolution. So I think we've had two, yeah. certainly kind of recent modern history, last few hundred years. The first one, was, of course, would be the Gutenberg Press, that suddenly we started to be able to create books and uh, kind of printed word far, far quicker. So it went from kind of 18 months per book per scribe to like 250 sheets an hour with Gutenberg's Press. I mean, just yeah. mind blowing. Then we had the telephone, yeah. which I think in our era, we just completely overlook because rarely do we phone people. You know, <laughs> we're, we're on an internet platform yeah. recording this. Most of my meetings are on Zoom or Teams. But yeah. actually, telephone just was lightning fast communication. And now, what I think we're going through is, yes, the internet and all this kind of video and stuff has, has kind of improved stuff. But I think we're about to kind of go far further. There's still a premium to in-person meeting. Yeah. And I think that's the boundary we're about to cross. Mm. That we take that away with technology, that you yeah. get the same kinesthetic feedback yeah. digitally as you do physically.
2: Because you look at digitalization, and actually, education technology is again another subsector in its own right. But it's interesting because with the rise of technology, communication, you know, I mean, kids today, there's a genuine problem with handwriting because they just yep. don't do it. But what we're seeing now with kind of the you know the more prevalence of, of machine use is okay. that there is actually problem with uh, younger kids uh, within primary education, certainly in SEN. So you know back in church, there's a lot of businesses that are coming uh, you know raising investment to tackle this very problem. Okay. Um, but it's also kids' development of their speech is happening a lot later. Yeah, again, and if you kind of look at the reasons why, you know, is this advent, Well. Where we are with, with with technology, I see you know I see kids knowing how to scroll on Apple devices before they say their first word. So that's quite you know an interesting area that's happening.
1: I think it's all absolutely fascinating. Coming back to just something you've just said there. So my my kids when they message me, they're thirteen and eleven. It's it's kind of this very fluid. I'm not going to quite say slang. Yep. But it's it's this kind of, they have a real, uh, far clearer voice in their yep. text messages yep. than the older generation, which is still very kind of, oh, well, no, this is grammatically correct. Yeah. Whereas the yeah. kids are just like... I don't know. They just extend the word when they want to accent it, or it's got massive capitals, or it's, it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's I think it's yeah. a real cool evolution of, of language.
2: It's definitely interesting. Because I think when, you know, even if you're looking at backing businesses and you look at things, you know, um, diversity net, uh, various policies, there's a business called uh, Brickton Finishing School, which is a brilliant business. And what the founder there does is she takes some teenagers that, Predominantly there, they're not classed as homeless because they're sleeping on a friend's sofa. Okay. Um, but you could categorize them- They're one sort of step, step
1: away almost. Step
2: away, exactly. Yeah. And slightly being on on a spectrum and they've had difficulties through education sort of prior to this. Um, what that company does is it will give them a complete new skill set, be it in coding, be it in sort of marketing, sort of various different things. But um, the founder, uh, her name's Ali Owen, but I always remember she said to me, because um, she part of what she does as well is actually getting these uh, people into uh, employment. Brilliant. She's like, why would you not want somebody with a different mindset to how you think? Why would you not want their opinion at your table? And I was just like, I mean, that's true.
1: I mean, what? I do want their opinion Absolutely. at the table. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, and this quite- is what
1: happened at each of those information revolutions yeah was we yeah. okay it, i'm I'm not going to paint a, a great picture because it was a fairly turbulent time <laughs> but after each of those you had a complete changing in the philosophy of culture um yeah. so we had the golden age of science and we then you know in the Gutenberg, we had all the kind of the enlightenment period tremendously powerful times as you harness more people's voices which yeah. is essentially what those periods did and what i think we're doing now and certainly Let's tie this to something else, which I, I kind of touch on with you, which is I think kind of all that ESG stuff and diversification and gender inequality, wealth inequality, all of these things, they're all part of a bigger theme to me. Mm. And this theme is something I call the age of awareness. So my kind of theory on this is the period we've just come through is the age of measurement. Mm-hmm. We invented the semiconductor in the 1970s. I said that. The royal way, I didn't. (laughs) The semiconductor was invented in the 1970s. And since then, we've harnessed that just to measure everything amazingly well, down to like the millisecond, if you want to know what your oxygenation is, or your rest last night, or how much REM cycle you had. You know, you can get this from a hundred pound watch. Yeah. Now what we're doing through every single sphere of life is applying it to awareness. Yeah. And I guess you see this. So that actually one of the examples that I often talk about is I don't if you remember, like at the start of the Russian-Ukraine war, shell there was this tanker, wasn't there? There was this tanker out at sea, nobody would buy it because it was Russian oil. Yeah. At this point, there were no sanctions. It was not illegal in any form to buy that oil. Oil price had spiked, because I remember getting in the office that morning and looking at like kind of the commodity graphs. And it was like oil prices spiked. There was a shortage of supply, and nobody would buy this. And then Shell eventually did. I think it, this was yeah. like the fifth of March. And what was really fascinating was, I'm sure initially they thought they got this a bargain of a deal. <laughs> and they were like, "Yes, we got it twenty five percent below market price." Yeah. And then all of a sudden, three days later, Ben Ben Van Buren, the CEO, had to come out and go, "Oh my word, we're so sorry. We called this wrong." Yeah. And this era we live in. I think what they forgot was the morality of business, and that's that's a huge change for for businesses of all sizes, not just huge, you know, global businesses like Shell. Yeah, and you must see that happen again. You know, kind of in the field of stuff that you're working with is this. It is a it is a, a philosophical change of business.
2: Massively, you know, this could be a whole podcast in its own right. <laughs> no, <laughs> this we'll, get, this we'll, is we'll, a, this is we'll do another job. show.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it was interesting. Like before, you know, when I had the consultancy here before it was Deep Ridge, and I said I worked with a number of different funds and, and things like this. You know, there was stuff like, you know, Sharia compliant uh, funds. So again, that kind of, you know, knocked out alcohol and, and things, you know, things like this. I found that there was th- different degrees, I guess, of, um morality if you want to say that with d- yep. different houses but it's a very key point because certainly not just from your own personal uh you know stance or things i mean i call myself a conscious capitalist for this very reason you know and it's not just about business might come to the table and you decline it it's also ensuring that whilst you're invested in it that it doesn't pivot into something and the fact you do i'm, I'm gonna call it out that like um did you see that Netflix thing with um, Cambridge Analytica?
1: No, I've not seen it. I know the, know the story, but no, I've not very, seen it on very, Netflix.
2: Very, very interesting business. But I actually had a broker approach me after this series of on TV saying, I've got this fantastic company for you. And as he was describing it, I mean, in it, I mean, very clever tech, don't get me wrong, but there is definitely that manipulation. Let's <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> just yeah. say the word for what it is. And I said to him, do you know what? absolutely not. I I can't, I can't look at him. You'll be silly not to look at it. I went, you know what? Go on then, send it to me. And at the time I didn't know the company and it still had the same company's name on it, on the pitch deck. Not one bit within this pitch deck was about the actual investment itself. It was just going about how wonderful (laughs) Cambridge Analytica. And you know, I'm not trying to dis, uh, well, I guess I am to some extent, but the morality (laughs) point with this question is absolutely no, I can't. I'm not going to further this. I'm not interested in it. Um, you, you know, and what we we talked earlier about you know the various kind of diversity policies. Yeah, we talked about greenwashing and things like this. There's a lot of big companies that are very do it very well to publish. You know their policies on it. Deep Bridge, yes. There's there's things that you know we weren't going to do anything with Russian. association, absolutely not, and all of that. But you know, certainly. You know, did by heart and said about the diversity side of things. It's you know we could put down in writing we will only back you know certain or companies with with a female you know lead or this that or the other or a percentage of businesses with this. Um, and I guess because we're considered smaller than some of the bigger companies out there, you know, would we turn away a good business in the hope that we see something else? that might conform to criteria or not. And do you know what? That summit was still working out, if I'm honest, but you know, there are still other big uh, companies that, that, that do it very well. And, you know, they have to. Yeah. It is interesting what you see. I mean, we had, there was a business which was to do with uh, mice reproduction. Okay. Um, So there's, but the moral hat, like, well, hang on, is this testing on animals, which cosmetics and that kind of thing absolutely gets when it's, drug trials
1: you see yeah where's that line yeah
2: yeah exactly so and actually this particular business at the time was kind of nicer way to mice rather than injections and it had you know pessaries and things like that so uh it's a very interesting conversation point i think and it's i think really it all still comes down to you know that emotive driver yeah the emotive drivers, I should say, behind you know what you invest in, what you will consider, um, not just on behalf of yourself, the company, you know, and your underlying investors as well.
1: Oh, uh, no yeah, com- completely. and and I think you know tying that back into something we were talking about just a few minutes ago, as that awareness, as people are more kind of kind oh, well, does that sit well with me, or doesn't it? Mm. those create problems. i'm I'm pretty sure I might now misquote the guy completely this, but Thomas so well said something along the lines of yesterday's solutions are tomorrow's problems. And I always love that because that to me is then go, oh, okay, well, that's what now the entrepreneurs are uh, looking to solve. And and as we change philosophically as a society, Mm -hmm. it creates problems to solve tomorrow. Yeah. Which creates innovation.
2: Quite like the, um, you know, the crisis drives growth,
1: but growth drives crisis. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We've now got about four different podcasts we need to record on different topics. (laughs) But (laughs) but thank you so much for joining. But to finish, can I ask you if I can get you to just name one thing? Okay, and I know this is going to be hard because you see hundreds of different things and thousands of different ideas. But if there's one thing which has kind of got you most excited, or you kind of go, oh my word, this was surprising. And you can't now use shark DNA, by the way, that's crossed your desk and you've you've kind of gone, wow.
2: You know, for so for transparency, my kind of personal areas of of specialism, if you like, is I like stuff that's health and wellness, kind of sports tech, femtech. Uh, related and kind of what I'm seeing through us of those various platforms that is in increasing at the moment, I guess you could broadly label as food tech, but kind of how this relates to the various different subsectors. So I'm answering your question with a very load of other kind of you, things that's you interesting. D- you do it
1: however you want.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but if you take food tech in its own right, you've got issues of deforestation. Therefore you've got environmental Kind of elements involved in that. Uh, you've also got transportation and logistics. So again, you've got various opportunities of tech kind of around supporting that. You've got the the drive to reduce food waste. You've got yes. hunger, poverty. So bringing back to what we we're talking about, morality and things like this. And then you've also got the the health um, aspects involved in this. Um, so you know, I'm seeing a lot of things. I'm seeing a lot of vertical farming. Businesses at the moment, I'm seeing a lot of plant-based proteins that are going on. talked about the omega-3 and sort of algae element earlier. Insects, I'm getting started off with insect pet food. Now I'm seeing it in wraps for children. So again, (laughs) what we're talking about- Tested on the kids
1: first. Right. (laughs) It's
2: it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've got our own perception of eating bugs, certainly in the UK, but you start them off early- with kids, and it just becomes second nature and normality. Yeah. So, actually, that you know, the question you just asked, and I think just sort of saying food tech does DeepBridge have what it would label food tech as one investment? No, but does it have stuff around the logistics, around the decarbonization, okay. around this, that, and no, that? Absolutely. Yeah. So, that as a kind of theme. Because the health side of things that I'm seeing, you know, and there's a lot of stuff to do with biohacking, bringing it back to your kind of AI driven tech. Yep. Almost, uh, there's a rise of digital twins okay. that are coming at the moment. So um, I'm going to finish with that.
1: No, uh, that, that's a
2: load great. of sub of, uh, subsectors within that
1: point. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what you've done there, you know, kind of one of the, the, the things about this podcast, I mean, obviously the whole podcast is about trends, mega trends, and transitions. And one of the things we try and pull out with every guest is just how you can't actually separate trends into their own little silos. They are actually all either intertwined or coming together or actually cross multiple different trends. So I actually think you've illustrated that point beautifully with your answer. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) But no, seriously, (laughs) thank you very much for, for spending these few minutes with me. If people want to find out okay. more about yep. what you do in DeepBridge, where do they head? What do they do?
2: Absolutely. I mean, our website is deepbridgecapital.com. Uh, I'm very happy for people to reach out on my numerous platforms, as I said. <laughs> but the easiest <laughs> one to get me is, you know, definitely email. I'm louise.farley at deepbridgecapital.com. Very happy to
1: take um, any questions. Super. No, thank you so much. That was uh, brilliant. Welcome. Thank you. Good to speak to you.
0: You've been listening to Transitional Matters. Make sure to like, subscribe, and sign up to the show's email newsletter by going to chrismarshall.uk. And we'll see you next time for more from the world of mega trends and transitions all content is for informational purposes only and does not constitute an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any securities content should be treated as educational and general and should not be seen as a recommendation to use any particular investment strategy